Aloha, this is Pastor Perry, and I want to thank you for joining us online to study the Word of God together. We pray that you will be blessed as the Holy Spirit ministers to you through this message and through God's Word. Church, today's passage is Romans 13, 1 through 4. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God for you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Romans 13, 1 through 4. Michael, thanks for doing our reading today. Would you pray with me as we look into God's word together? Almighty God, our loving Father, it's just a joy to come and worship you, to hear from you, to be blessed by you. We pray, too, that you will find joy in us being here and that you would find joy in our thoughts and our words and our actions. We invite the Holy Spirit to, to minister. We pray, Lord, that you would minister in our hearts as we listen to your word, that you'd instruct us and you'd use me to speak your words truthfully accurately for the glory of Christ. Lord, we're mindful of those who are watching us online, who are watching us from hospital beds or sick beds, from places of infirmity, and we just ask your healing touch on them and your blessing on them, Lord. For those in this room that are struggling, that have had a bad week or bad news or a bad month or maybe even a bad year, Lord, we ask you to minister your joy to them even in the midst of trials. And Lord, we pray that you would bring peace where there has been turmoil. For those in this room who have been rejoicing, we rejoice with them and thank you for the joy and the blessings that you've brought into our lives that, that make our lives enjoyable. And we thank you for those. Lord, we just thank you for our Savior, Jesus, and we pray that we can magnify him now by the way we listen and by the way we obey. And we ask these things through that wonderful, powerful, beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. The Geneva Convention of 1949 was a series of agreements that came about after the atrocities of World War II. That a number of nations came together and they, they signed these agreements on how they should be treating one another in war situation. And they defined the basic rights of wartime prisoners. The Geneva Convention also defined the this protection that should be given to the wounded and to the sick in wartime, as well as how civilians should be treated during a wartime. Geneva Convention also included how non-combatants in a war situation should be treated. And according to the Geneva Convention, all medics and religious personnel chaplains are considered as non-combatants. And that means that the medics and the chaplains don't shoot at the enemy, and the enemy isn't supposed to shoot at them. Well, when I was a Navy chaplain, I was stationed with 3rd Recon Marines in Okinawa, Japan, 
and I noticed that my uniform looked just like their uniform. That I have a camouflage uniform, and they had a camouflage uniform, and the one thing that distinguished me from a combatant, besides the fact they maybe had a weapon, was that I had this little, about one inch golden cross pinned to my collar. And I was thinking, I hope the enemy knows to look at everybody's collar before they shoot at us. Here's a picture of me in, in uniform, just to, to prove that I actually, I'm the one on the left, the fellow on the right is the uh, targeting officer, the person who calls in the missile strikes from the ship out and onto the shore. We're somewhere in South Korea, and I was posing. I don't normally have, you know, the, the, the telephone and the ship-to-shore thing and the maps and all that, but, uh, but don't I look like a non-combatant there, you know? <laughs> well, so I decided when I heard that uh, my Marines were, were going to the firing range that non-combatant or not, it might be good to know how to fire a weapon. And so my fellow chaplains, all new chaplains, said, hey, we're non-combatants. We can't go to the firing range. I go, well, I'm going. Well, won't you get in trouble? I go, I won't know unless I go. You know, so I went to the firing range, and, and I thought, well, you know, I don't have any of those ribbons or doodads. I'd just gotten in the military, and I knew I could earn a ribbon if I shot and hit the target. So um, I went there, and they said, okay, chaplain, here are your 10 bullets. And they counted out 10 bullets. Everybody got 10 bullets. And they handed me a, a 45. I'd never shot a 45 or a pistol before. Gave me the ear protection and eye protection. They took me out there. We're all lined up shoulder to shoulder. You know, they say go or whatever they say. And you, you fire at the target. And then the targets come back in. And, and we're all looking at our targets to see how we did. And I want to see if I earned a ribbon, you know. And, you know. and so I'm looking at my target. And hmm, there are nine bullet holes in my target. I had 10 bullets, nine bullet holes. And the Marine next to me says, well, Chaplain, you think that's odd? I have 11 bullet holes in my target. <laughs> Good thing I'm a non-combatant. <laughs> I'm better suited for that. Well, today we're going to continue in our series, Truth Matters, which is an expositional study in the book of Romans. And today's sermon, based on Romans 13, is titled, The Government and You. The Government and You. Last week, as we were looking at chapter 12, we saw that God teaches that vengeance is His, that we're not to take revenge or vengeance on someone. So, a natural question that proceeds from that is, well, what if I'm in the military, or what if I'm a police officer, or what if my family's being protected, or I'm being protected? Are Christians expected to be pacifists? What's well, a very simple answer to that? No. <laughs> No, we're not pacifists. We are to be good citizens. So let's dig deeper and see what the Scripture has to say. And we need to start with recognizing that we all realize that we live in an evil, fallen world, and God recognizes that. So God has made some provisions for us who live in a fallen world to be protected from evil. And God has ordained three main institutions to Keep society as a whole protected. Now, I don't want you to raise your hand. You don't have to shout out loud. This isn't a children's sermon, so I'm not going to go around with the mic. But do you happen to know what the three institutions are that God has ordained in order to shield us from evil? Well, we're going to talk about those in your sermon notes, which are available online at our website or at the door. If you didn't get one, you're welcome to jump up and get one. The first truth we want to look at, and this is on your outline, is that God has ordained three main institutions for promoting a healthy society. Three main institutions for promoting a healthy society. And 
as we go through these today, you're going to notice that all three of these institutions are currently under attack. And we shouldn't be surprised by that because our arch enemy, the devil, wants to destroy society. He's a destroyer, and so he's attacking the three main institutions that God has given us to keep society healthy. The first institution ever given by God, number one there on your notes, is the institution of marriage. The institution of marriage. And before there was even sin in the world, God instituted marriage. And marriage was the very first building block of society. Notice what it says back in the beginning in Genesis chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. Genesis 2, 24, God says, For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This is marriage. And the man and his wife, Adam and Eve, were both naked and were not ashamed. Before sin even entered the world, God defined what marriage was. A man and a woman coming together, and this became the building block for all of society. That's how society was going to be built, built on marriage between a man and a woman. And any society built on anything different than this is doomed to failure. And even in a perfect world, because it was a perfect world when he instituted this, marriage was necessary for society. And marriage, of course, was to lead to bearing children and rearing children. And it says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, it says, And God blessed them. He blessed Adam and Eve. He blessed their marriage and said to them, Now be fruitful and multiply. Have kids. How many? Fill the earth. I mean, they're going to live forever. <laughs> and so were their children before sin. And fill the earth and subdue it and rule. And I've mentioned before, a lot of people don't realize this, that humankind, our role is to rule. It's to rule over God's creation. That has been God's plan. Now, His plan has been damaged because of sin, so that's why we have wild animals and why, you know, your, your dog and your kids don't obey you. You know, it's a fallen world. But in a perfect world, we're to rule, and that perfect world is going to come back, and we're going to reign with Christ in a perfect world. It's still going to happen someday. And the first institution was the institution of marriage. And because it's so closely affiliated to family, some people call the first institution family. But, of course, sin entered the world, and that brought about infertility. It brought about infidelity. It brought into other things that started to keep the family from being what God wanted it to be. Listen, all this redefining nonsense of the family that's going on, the redefining of what a couple is, what a marriage is, what a family is, that is a frontal assault on the primary institution of our society. The arch enemy, the devil, wants to destroy us, and he's destroying the very basis for all society, which is a healthy family. Now, please hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying you have to be married and have children to fulfill God's will. I'm not saying that every marriage is a good one 
and should last. I'm not saying that every family is healthy. What I'm saying is the institution that God gave us and ordained would be the basis of all society is marriage followed by having a family. That's what builds society, and that is God's plan. And it's a good plan, but of course, it's damaged by sin. Well, early on in human history, due to the breakdown of the family, the world fell apart. And the world was so evil that God decided He was going to do a reboot of society. And so he wiped out the entire world with a flood. And some people say, well, how do we know it was worldwide? Well, he did say in the Scripture it was worldwide. But also, why would you have to build the ark? It was a local flood. Just take the animals over there. (laughs) So he destroyed the world with a flood, and he rebuilt the whole world with one family as a foundation. Noah and his family, eight people. Once again, the family was the building block for society, but after the flood, God added a second institution. Look in your notes, number two there, it's the institution of government. And God ordained government now to help curtail the evil that was present in society. And in Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, it says this, God speaking, Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. And theologians see this as the beginning of government. God starts giving rules to govern society that God is going to take vengeance on murderers, but he does it through human agency. Just like when you pray, oh God, I need money for school or for bills or fun, (laughs) Um, How does God answer? Well, He doesn't drop money from heaven. He nudges your grandmother (laughs) who sends you a check for your birthday or your boss and you get a pay raise or you discover hidden money in a book or under a mattress or whatever it is. God uses human agencies to answer our prayers. It's the same thing with revenge, vengeance. How does God do it? He does it through governments. And he's ordained governments. And later, from Genesis, we move farther on, and we'll have the Mosaic Law, where God codifies all these rules for this government. And later on, we get to Romans 13, and we see that God gives the government a sword, which seems to indicate both capital punishment and military power in order to keep evil at bay. But as we continue in Genesis 9, it's interesting. After God institutes the ordination of government, or ordains the institution of government, He restates the first institution of marriage. Let's reread Genesis 9, 6, and now we'll read verse 7. Verse 6, whoever shed man's blood, by men his blood shall be shed, for in the image of God he made man. That's the institution of government. And then he reminds us of what the basic building block of society is, marriage. And as for you, be fruitful and multiply and populate the earth abundantly and multiply in it. 
God did a reboot of society. The foundation is marriage and the family, but now he's at our government because he doesn't want the world to get too evil. So two institutions, marriage and government. And these institutions are being attacked. You can't turn on your television and watch Netflix or Amazon Prime or even the Disney Channel and not see marriage being attacked and family being redefined. It doesn't matter if you're watching an adult show, a commercial, or a child's cartoon. Marriage and family are being attacked by the devil. And that makes sense because he's called the destroyer in the book of Revelation. In Greek, Apollyon. In Hebrew, Abaddon. He's called the destroyer. And this redefining of marriage and family is from the very pit of hell to destroy the foundation of society. And lately, we see governments being attacked all over the world, whether it's, you know, in Ukraine or other places. But, but look at America. Look at January 6th, an attack, literally, of our government at the Capitol. Regardless of what political party you are and what you believe about the whole thing, you have to believe it was an attack on our government and what's going on. The whole defund the police nonsense. We have an attack on the institution that God has given to protect us. People are murdering our police to the point where people don't even want to serve as police officers, and we have a dearth of men and women who want to serve because Satan is trying to destroy the institutions that keep evil from being able to spread. But not only family, not only government, but we have a third institution the third one chronologically that was instituted by God in order to keep evil from spreading, and the third one is the church. The church. Jesus himself said in Matthew 5.13, speaking of the church, he said, you are the salt of the earth. And as we saw in the children's sermon, the idea of salt is salt is a preservative. The reason the world isn't as bad as it is is because of you and your presence in the church. So whether you've been able to have a family or have a marriage or you're single like me, you still are part of an institution that is preserving society if you are part of the church. Just our presence in society is keeping it from getting any worse. There's a reason why for 20 years, one year I had to skip, that I do a wanna with our cubbies. Because I think our children are the foundation of our society. There's a reason why you should go back there and sign up for Awana. Not just because I'm telling you to. It's because by you volunteering for Awana, you're helping to preserve society from evil. That's the foundation. It's taking care of our kids. Supporting people who have, need help with their kids. Supporting healthy families, whether you're a family or a single or a broken family. We need to support each other. We're the church. And that's why we're told in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, because the church is a preservative, when Jesus comes and calls the church out at what's called the rapture, that the Antichrist rears his ugly head, and a period of time begins. It's the worst period of human history that if it wasn't shortened, 
Jesus says all the earth would be destroyed. It's called the tribulation. In fact, Jesus calls it, in Matthew 24, the great tribulation. And it happens when the salt of the earth, the church, is taken out because we are a preservative and we're removed. Daniel predicts this in Daniel 12.1. He calls this period of time when the salt is removed. He calls it a time of distress such as never occurred. That's why the devil is trying to destroy the church. And again, in the last two years... Notice what's happened to the church is that through mandates and lockdowns, people have gotten into another pattern, and it's easy not to come back to church. And you go, well, I can watch it online, and I'm glad you're watching online. But you can't lead a wana online. <laughs> you can't cry with people and hug them online. You can't have those intimate conversations or casual conversations. You, you, hard to meet new people online. And I understand. I had to watch online for almost, well, I don't know, it seems like a year. I had to watch online. It's a good thing. I'm glad you're there. But you shouldn't stay there if you can come in person because we need each other. We need each other. We need to cry with each other, hold with each other, minister to each other. Disciple each other. Just be with each other. Sing with each other. And now we finally get to Romans 13. <laughs> Verses 1 and 2. The rest of the sermon will go a little quicker. Romans 13, 1. Let every person be in subjection to the governing authorities. That's the institution of government. Every person, subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority, none, zero, authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, he who resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation or judgment upon themselves. Keep in mind, as we read this as Americans, we live in one of the most wonderful countries and governments that have ever existed, founded, founded on Christian and Judeo morals and principles. We have great freedom. I mean, people aren't dying to get into Cuba. They're not dying to get into North Korea. They're not dying to get into communist China. But people will risk their lives to come to America even though they go, we hate America. Can we go there? You know, they want to be here. We're not a perfect country but we're a great country. And so it should be easy for us as Christians to be respectful of our government. I don't think we do that too well sometimes, but it should be easy for us. But Paul is writing to people who lived under the Roman Empire. And his readers belong to a group of people where one-third of the people, and probably more than that in the church, were slaves. People who had been captured in battle and now were slaves for life and could never get free. He's writing to Jews who had been cast out the city of Rome because they were Jews. And just recently, now they've been allowed back in. He's writing to people who are part of an extreme religious right group called the Zealots. And the Zealots believed in a violent overthrow of the Roman government, and they carried daggers under their robes so that they could assassinate people when they were in crowds. They'd pull out the dagger, assassinate the person, and just keep walking on. They would burn the crops and the homes of people who didn't support their political cause. And Paul is writing to people 
who would be persecuted not many years after that by their own government, by Nero, who would take Christians and pour tar over them and light them on fire so they could illuminate his garden parties. And writing to these people, he tells them, be in subjection to the governing authorities. Which brings us to truth number two there on your notes. Number two, as a Christian, you are to obey the laws of your government unless they violate the laws of God. You are to obey the laws of your government unless they violate the laws of God. Another way to put it is this way. In other words, you are to be a good citizen. Christians ought to be the best citizens in any country they're in. We ought to be good citizens. And Paul says it in Romans, but Peter says it in 1 Peter chapter 2. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 to 15, Peter is writing to a group of believers who have been scattered to the winds because they're Christians. They've been persecuted. And he says in verse 13, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to king as the one in authority or to governors. We have governors. We don't have a king. Or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God, that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Titus says the same thing in chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Titus 3, verse 1, it says, remind them, Paul says to Titus. Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to be good citizens to malign no one, to be uncontentious, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. It is these scriptures that guided the governing board of this church and the staff of this church during the COVID mandates when people or other churches are going, what should we do? Well, God told us what to do. Submit to the authorities. Unless it violates the word of God, It doesn't say you have to like what the government says. It doesn't say you have to agree. It doesn't have to say it makes sense to you. But you have to respect the government, submit to them, and be a good citizen. However, when the apostle Peter and other apostles were being told, don't preach the gospel of Christ, well, they said, In Acts 5.29, we must obey God rather than men. You see, if I can do it like this, I only have three hands, so you have to, excuse me, I mean three hands, I only have two hands, I don't have three hands. (laughs) How many hands do I have? (laughs) Here's you, here's government, here's God. As long as the government is under the Lord's laws and you are there, you obey the government, they're obeying God. If the government goes like this and disobeys God's laws and you're still here, you obey God. You don't move with the government and do the wrong thing. You stay here and do the right thing. It's the government that moves, not you. And you show them respect. You are a good citizen. And if you don't like your government, then vote. I don't think you can be a good citizen. Well, you can't be a good citizen and not vote. And if Christians are to be good citizens, you could almost say you can't be a good Christian unless you vote. I mean, if you have the opportunity, and if you're not registered to vote, we have a table out there. It just by God's providence happens to be this day when I'm having this sermon, they wanted to come, and God is letting you know it's available there. 
And if you're so inclined, run for office. Be a good citizen who puts your name on the ballot and change things from the inside. Christians are good citizens, and good citizens support the government. They do their civic duties, verses 6 and 7 of Romans 13. Verse 6, for because of this, you also pay taxes. You pay taxes because God ordained the government, and that's how you support the government. You pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them, tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Christians ought to be the most honest people when they're filling out their tax forms. Jesus himself said in Mark 12, 17, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. When you pay your taxes... You are supporting the ordained ministers of the government. And those words are used of civil authorities. They're ordained and they are ministers. Romans 13, 3 and 4. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Go the speed limit. (laughs) Do what is good, and you have praise for the same. For it is, notice, a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it is not, does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister, notice the word minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath upon the one who practices evil. Here's our third and last truth. Number three, God has ordained governments to curtail and avenge evil. God has ordained governments to curtail and to avenge evil. The government is God's method to restrain the evil in our society. It's the third or the second institution to do that. And in our text, people who work for the government are called ministers. Now, we don't call them ministers in the U.S., but in the U.K. you do. You have the minister of defense and the minister of the treasury and the the minister of justice, and the minister of health. And the top dog minister is called the prime minister. And I'm thinking, well, I'm the top dog minister here. Maybe you should call me prime minister. (laughs) Isn't it interesting? We think of church ministers being ordained. The context here is civil governments are ministers ordained by If you're in the military, if you're in the police force, you too are are an ordained minister of God. That's not my opinion. That's the Scripture. That's what God says. You're in the ministry. I happen to be a minister in the church. You're in the military. You're a minister in the government. And if you have a family, you're a minister in your family. So thank you, all of you, all of you in some way is helping to preserve society from evil. Well, I not only went back to the firing range, I earned a ribbon. For those who understand, I did not get an E on my ribbon, but at least I hit the target. And I didn't just get to shoot shoot a pistol, I could shoot an M16. Oh, that was fun, that was a lot easier. And I got to throw a hand grenade. Oh man, you don't even have to be close to the target with a hand grenade, just get Make sure it's not close to you, you know? And, uh, and I got to shoot a 50 caliber machine gun. Oh, boy, that can do a lot of damage. And then there was that howitzer cannon-like thing, you know? And 
boom. I mean, it was great, you know. I really like that. But I decided to stick with what I do best. You might disagree. <laughs> I figured I'd just preach the word and be a non-combatant. And whatever God has chosen you to do, do it well. Do it well. Let's pray. I'd like to ask you to bow your heads even if you're watching online. The place you start this journey of Christianity is at the beginning, and the beginning is recognizing that you're sinful and you need a Savior. And Jesus died for our sins. He rose from the grave. He conquered death. He offers everyone salvation, but you have to decide if you want the gift. If you've never asked Jesus to save you, why not right now call out to Him to come into your life and just say, Lord Jesus, please save me. Forgive my sin and grant me eternal life. He knows your heart, and if that's your heart, He's heard your prayer. Lord Jesus, we do pray for our government, our government officials, our military, our police, our families, Lord. We pray for our church. Lord, we just pray that we can do our part to keep society good for the glory of Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen.